Hey guys, Tyson here, welcome back. So before I start this podcast, I just want to let you know that back in the day, uh, I used to run a podcast called Intention, and on Intention I'd catch up with a heap of random people, but some of those people had crazy stories, and their stories relate really nicely to relaxed running. Today's guest is one of those guys. It's the last one that I think crosses over into the relaxed running world. You might have heard of him before. He was a crazy big name about four years ago when he completed 50 Ironman in 50 states in 50 days. Uh, The old me from two years ago is about to give an introduction. I just wanted to let you know that for a little bit of context, I was living in London at the time that this was recorded. I was sitting in a cupboard essentially recording this over Skype. So if there's any London references or uh, we're speaking about things that don't really revolve around Australia, that's why. So guys, sit back, relax, be inspired. This guy is incredible. And I can tell you that when you're out there feeling pain on your next long run, there's a good chance this guy will cross over into your mind. So let me get out of your way and introduce the me from two years ago to properly introduce this podcast with the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence. Let me give you an introduction. If you haven't heard of James Lawrence, known as the Iron Cowboy, he's an athlete, he's a husband, he's got five kids. In 2012, he set the world record for the most amount of Ironman done in one calendar year. He did 30. If you don't know what an Ironman is, it's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile marathon run. If you prefer kilometres, that's a 3.8-kilometre swim, 180-kilometre bike ride, or a 40 and a 42-kilometre run. He finished that and silenced a lot of critics when he did get that done, but decided it wasn't enough for him. He felt mentally and physically he had a whole lot more that he could offer. And in 2015, I heard how he was going to try and put that into practice. And when I first heard this, my mind was absolutely blown that someone could even comprehend trying to do something like this. I was inspired. I was encouraged. I was excited to hear how it went. Uh, Let me tell you what he did. 2015, he broke the record by completing 50 Ironmans across 50 states in America in 50 days. Uh, For anyone who's ever done one Ironman or even watched an Ironman, you know how hard that fate is to achieve. That's really respectable. The fact that this guy's done 50, 50, 50, as it's come to be known, is it's off the charts. It's absolutely incredible. So I got in touch with James to see if we might be able to talk about the mindset that allows someone to do like that, the training that allows someone to uh, achieve something like this, the diet, how he operated with his family and his kids. What I love so much about this is we get really deep into the power of the mind. We get really deep into the power of self-belief. Whether you're an athlete or not, this message is is really, really, it's just relevant. It, It doesn't matter. We talk about the fact that what he does through his achievements here is it goes well beyond sports so whatever field you're in sit back get your notepad out because this guy has some absolute gems to drop to you i'm going to get out of your way because i want you to enjoy this podcast show notes are at tysonpopplestone.com click on the podcast uh guys you're in for a treat enjoy i'm the soul challenger i'm the real And 
Hey, well, first of all, massive thanks for, for coming on the show. I'm glad we finally got an opportunity to organise it. You've been a, a busy man travelling around the world, so it's, uh, it's nice to finally get a chance to sit down for the chat. Yeah, it's great. Um, man, I, uh, I'm having a laugh with a couple of my friends and, and my wife over the last few weeks. Just as I've been uh, in contact with you trying to organise this conversation, I've been excited just to see what your email says about what you've been up to over the, <laughs> over the last few days. I think the first email I sent to you, it must have been, what, two or three months ago, and you were uh, you were midway through your journey up Kilimanjaro. Man, tell us, tell us about what was going on there. Oh man, it was just a just a really crazy cool opportunity to to go up Kilimanjaro, not in the the, the traditional fashion of hiking up it, but an opportunity presented itself to to ride our mountain bikes up it, um, and just just what a gnarly experience and a, a unique challenge. Um, I mean, just a lot of really cool experiences or opportunities have presented itself since 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 you know doing the fifty Ironmans um, in fifty days. But but it's just it was an opportunity that I, I had to take and I wasn't even close to ready to do it but um, but I, I just went out there and, and you know at a certain point physical ability is goes to the wayside and the, the mental side of things takes over and I have I have some some decent experience in that and so just just went there and just and and had had a really good experience the people over there were incredible um, and so it took us you know six days four up two down. Um, you know, through four ecosystems and some very challenge, challenging terrain. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a really cool experience to oh, have. Man, it, it doesn't surprise me. I feel like the more I follow your journey, the the less surprised I am when I hear about adventures like this. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. uh, but what, how did that opportunity come up, man? Because that's a that's a unique one. I've heard about a few people climbing it, and they say that's pretty bloody hard in itself. Uh, how did the idea about riding a mountain bike up the top come? Yeah, there was a there was a father son duo from California, and they were trying to raise money for um, an orphanage there in Tanzania. And uh, they just said, "Hey, would you be interested in coming with us and and helping the the cause?" And, and I just said, "Yeah, absolutely. We've done a lot of charity work in Africa before." And so it kind of resonated with me. And 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 I, I always like to to try to reach out as much as we can to help raise money. And so. Um, the, the campaign is cyclekilly.com. You can go there and, and, and see what it's all about. But yeah, they just presented it to me and, and honestly, they had no business being on the mountain. They weren't, they weren't prepared at all. The one son, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a tough as nails MMA fighter, but I mean, he'd been on a bike three times before he went out there and, and you know, the other guy is a little bit older, but just had, didn't have enough, didn't have enough experience. And so it was a really, really hard challenge for them. Mm. Um, and so, you know, and, and, you know, I had the same experience in Greece, um, and I'm sure we'll hit on that real quick. But it was, I'm, I'm realizing that I get to do these adventures with other people, um, but the adventure for these others are it's the hardest thing they've they've done to to the, this point in the in their journey, um, and it's really interesting for me to sit back and watch and one realize this is why I started back in the day was to to push myself mentally and have those real conversations with myself um but but the the role that I'm kind of taking on with these new adventures is is kind of being a supporter or a coach out there and helping people manage the pain and manage the mental side of things and and kind of take them to a place that they've never been before and so it's it's kind of been an interesting unique uh, perspective that I never thought I would be on that side of things before, but it's been really rewarding to go out there and kind of, kind of be the mentor and 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 help these guys get through a tough personal journey that they're on. Yeah, I can imagine ever since the fifty fifty fifty, which we'll we'll talk about 
um, in a in a few minutes' time. A lot of people look at you as the absolute guru when it comes to mental strength and um, just durability and the ability to just keep getting back up. But I know in a situation like that, when you're um, when you're in the midst of a challenge and when you're trying to achieve something great, and especially something unique like climbing a mountain bike up Kilimanjaro. There's going to be moments, even in in your uh, in your own journey, where you find you know the challenges that come in your way. How, how do you find the moments where um, you're in the middle of a real big challenge and people are looking for you for support? Because I always find comfort in the fact that there's people like yourself out there that I can look to and go, okay, look, he's doing it. I'm okay. He's walking me through. Uh, but I can imagine for yourself, there's there's got to be a few unique moments where it's like, bloody hell, how do I keep going? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I I don't imagine I'll ever do. And I, try, I have no desire to do anything as, as difficult as the 50 was. Um, but it really has set me up to have that experience. And, and I challenge people to do something harder than they can possibly imagine because it turns the other difficult challenges into adventures. Mm. And, yeah, I'm, I'm human like everybody else. I mean, I definitely struggle out there on the mountain and doing different things. And there was moments in Greece when we were, you know, we're running the 235 miles that I, you know, I was just like, holy crap, dude, why am I, what am I doing? I mean, that's, you know, I, I'm definitely mortal. Um, and I want people, I want people to realize that, but at the same time, people look at me and they go, you, you shouldn't be struggling, but I, you know, it's funny. They say to me, Oh, I'm glad you're struggling. That makes me feel so much better (laughs) because I'm in a, you know, they're saying about themselves. They're like, I'm in a world of hurt. It's nice to know that you're not, you know, you're superhuman, but it's nice to know that you're not like invincible Mm. that, you know, you, you hurt, you struggle too. And it kind of lets them go, Oh, Okay, I, I feel better about the pain that I'm experiencing, and so, but but it's hard because I, you know, I want to, you know, I want to be as real as I can with people, but they almost expect me to be that rock, you know, mm. when when the Iron Cowboy shows up, he has to be, you know, this larger than life, this life person, and I get invited on these adventures, and it's I always laugh because I, you know, I'm five foot eight, and I, I'll I'll show up to places and they're like, oh, you're smaller than we thought you would be, and I'm just like. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet man, thanks. That's that's super super nice. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan, and he always talks about the fact that you know he, uh, you know, on the on the television or on his podcast, people assume he's a lot bigger than he is. And people just think he's like the the strongest person they could possibly come in contact with. He reckons yeah. he has to deal with comments like that quite a bit. But man, um, yeah, so you mentioned I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, I'm still impressed. I'm still impressed. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned the 50 50 50 and and man that was that was my introduction to the iron cowboy i heard you i just downloaded rich rolls podcast and i heard you on the way to work one morning speaking about what it was you were getting up to and man uh, where do i even begin like i was i was amazed inspired just intrigued i, I couldn't I, I couldn't believe how into this iron man scene i got uh, just through hearing your story but i, I can imagine you've talked about this far out more than a couple of hundred times in the last few years but I, i've got to tell my listeners about what it was you got up to and i just think it's such an incredible story but for, for those uh, who have absolutely no idea man what it was that you got up to i'm sure you could introduce it or talk about it a lot better than me uh, do you want to explain so back in 2015 you you set a world record for the amount of iron man sitting the amount of states in the amount of days uh, tell us about that yeah so just just to catch everybody up real quick um I, i've been on a decade-long journey of of doing you know mental and physical challenges and every time i would do one i would kind of like feel a little bit empty um, that i that i really didn't find my mental and physical limits and so i came up with this just totally outrageous goal that everybody thought was was ridiculous um 
it was laughable. I was ridiculed. I was mocked for even coming up with the notion that I could possibly do it. Um, and, and if you take one Ironman, an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and a uh, 26.2 marathon run. And so that's 3.8K, um, 220K, and 42K um, swim, bike, run. And what I did is I took that Ironman distance and I did an Ironman every single day. 50 consecutive days, one in every state. So 50, 50, 50. Um, and, and man, we went on an unbelievable, completely unexpected journey. I've got, you know, I've got five kids and they, they came with me and, and they had an incredible experience. And my wife was with me and we, you know, my wife of 17, 18 years. Um, and, you know, people hear about the journey on the surface and they, they can't comprehend it. And so what we've done is we've actually put together a documentary um, that is available. And we also, my book, uh, it took me two years to, to write it and gather all the stories and experiences that we had. And that just released also, and it's called Redefine Impossible. Because um, really that's, that's what we, you know, that's what it's being projected and perceived as we did is we, we took what everybody said was impossible and then we've kind of redefined what the mind and the human body and the human spirit is is really capable of when you choose to back yourself in a corner and believe that you don't have any other choice. Mm. I think one of the most amazing parts of your story is, and I find it interesting that you were face-to-face with a lot of the critics and the people who are doubting your ability to do it. What's interesting is I was in conversations about what it was you're about to embark on and I encountered a lot of your critics as well. I, I spoke to a lot of people who were saying how impossible it is. And even logistically, to be able to pull off something like that, it's hard enough just to travel to 50 states in 50 days without the uh, without all the races. But at, at what point or at what stage did you start to believe that something like this was even possible? Because in a way, and I'm glad you proved them wrong, in a way I can understand where the doubt come from because people just can't comprehend how something this big can be achieved. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting um and in life with everything perspective is is very critical and involved in everybody's decision. It it, it is a matter of where you're sitting on the bus and, uh, on your own journey and looking at other people's journey and where they're sitting. And what I mean by that is I had just come off of doing a world record 30 Ironmans official events through 11 countries in 2012. Mm-hmm. And for me, the next logical, in my mind, from where I was sitting and in the journey that I was on, the next logical step for me was the consecutive, 50 consecutive in 50 different states. And so when I when I conceptualized it and started to do the planning and logistics, I went all in. Like I believed 300% that I could do it from, from the word go because of the experience it is that I would have, the journey that I was on and where I was headed. Now, after completing it and having to go through more than a year's worth of recovery and then getting my fitness back, I can 100% see why people would have been so taken back and appalled by the, the notion that I could even consider doing that was because now my perspective was different because of where I was. Even though I knew that I had done it and it was completed, feeling the way that I was feeling, training my body to get back to the fitness that I was back then, I can see why someone would say. And even now today, I do a, a, a huge you know, training camp or something, and I'm just like, I'm exhausted. Like I did the eight-day run in Greece, and I was like, 
I'd have 42 consecutive more days. And we were, we were only doing a marathon a day for those eight days in Greece. And I was like, I don't even understand even post completion. I don't understand the 2.4 mile swim, the 112 plus the marathon for 42 more consecutive. Like it's just <laughs> now, now, now being removed from it. I fully understand why people said, you know, we were back, you know, we were attacked so aggressively for the goal, but it, it all goes back to everything um, about perspective and, and where everybody is in their journey. And so one of the, one of the biggest blessings that I received and lessons that I learned was, man, I'm not going to judge anybody for decisions or, or campaigns that they want to do because I truly don't know their journey and the experience and where they are for them personally. Mm-hmm. And so I've really gained a, a new appreciation for, you know, somebody's else trying to do something because just how heavily critiqued we were. And like I said, it, it made total sense for me to go from where I was to that was the next step. Yeah. I hope, I hope that made sense. Oh man, hundred percent. Now made perfect sense. What I'm really interested in is uh, from the moment where you realize, okay, none of these challenges that I'm actually taking part in are fulfilling this desire or fulfill this, uh, p- potential that you believe that you had or that you knew you had uh, from the moment that you decided okay this is the challenge that i'm going to set uh, until you did it what kind of training were you doing how, how far out did you start training for it and and what did an average day or week of training look like for you yeah so i kind of um kind of pulled it off of the 30 ironmans uh, that right at the end of that journey is when i conceptualized the 50 um, and so it took you know that was the end of 2012 so all of 13 all of 14 and to May of 15. So two, two years and change. Um, it took me to do all of the logistics, all of the physical prep, all of the fundraising, all of the media, all of the, I mean, there was just so much to it. And because nobody believed in us and what we were doing, we had no support. Mm. Um, and with the five kids and my wife was finishing up her psychology degree, she was in school full time. Um, really I was on a very lonely, busy journey trying to put all the pieces in together. I was still running my coaching, um, uh, program to, to bring in income. And then I had to train myself physically and then do all of the planning and all of the logistics. And so it took me over two and a half years. Um, and then training, um, physically, it's very unique. People, people wouldn't think that the type of training that I did would have gotten me ready, but I did a lot of power ex- explosions, um, heavy lifting. Um, and then as we got closer, we lengthened that power out and, and turned it into more endurance. And we would, we would do training blocks and we would do one big day with recovery. And then we would do two big day consecutive days and then recovery and then three big days in recovery. And we got all the way up to four, 10 hour days. And we brought me right to the brink of, of, injury overtraining and exhaustion and then pulled back quickly and so we 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 teared it up and and you can't you can't train or get ready for 50 ironmans and so the the way that we looked at it was okay let's get ready for a deca 10 ironmans in a row we believe physically you can prepare for that and even that's a stretch mm-hmm. and so we were like let's do everything we can to get you in peak fitness and then you'll gain fitness and experience from the first 10 to apply to the next 10. And then from, from 20 to 30, the experience from one to 20 will apply. And we kind of took that methodology. And in so many ways we were right. And obviously so many ways we were wrong. There's really no way to prepare for something like that, but we did the best we could. I've, I've partnered with my longtime coach, David Warden, 
um, who, who is an unbelievable, brilliant mind when it comes to this type of thing. And, and so he was the mastermind behind all of the training. And we run a, we run a worldwide coaching program right now called Team Iron Cowboy. And he's the head of it. And we've got five coaches and, and we're having a lot of fun and a lot of success with it. And people are loving the programming. But, uh, but David is really the one that was the mind and the brilliance behind getting me ready to do this. Um, he watched me through the 2010, 2012 campaigns and world records. And both times he was like, I don't want to coach you. I don't think you can do it. And then finally for the 2015, when I said, David, I'm not giving you a choice. You have to become my coach. You're brilliant. I respect you. And he was like, I still don't think you can do it, but I'll coach you. <laughs> wow. That's amazing, man. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned early in the piece there that a strength component of your training was was really focused on and i think anyone who looks at your instagram page uh, leading up to it mid-race can pretty quickly see that you had some good size on you you weren't a, a really scrawny bloke who i think when i think of a triathlete or when i think of an iron man i think okay you know as little body fat as possible uh, and just to try and carry you through there in fact there's a couple of photos that i won't show my wife because of the fact your biceps <laughs> and your abs look so good but at what point or, or what made you take that approach to the training uh, rather than just trying to build as much endurance as you possibly could to the system what made you take the strength uh path yeah, so so David, he he's kind of a sprint specialist, and and we believe a lot in using power and explosiveness, and he's he's heavy on on, on doing weights inside of a program. We both feel it makes us more durable, um, and it's it's been a huge contributor to why I've been able to stay injury free. Mm. Um, I grew up not knowing how to swim. I didn't own a bike. Um, I grew up as a wrestler, and so I've been doing weights my entire life, leading up to it, and. And, and that's, it was a, you know, it's always been a passion of mine. And so I didn't want to let it go. And so almost by accident, um, it's turned into kind of, we look back at the success of it and we go, look, I think your weight training had a huge, huge influence and impact on you being so durable despite the size. And, and, and with all of our programming now, I'm, I'm adamant about including and incorporating strength training. Um, into the system. I've said this for years, um, and I, I'm waiting for people to get on board and finally realize it and get out of the a lot of the garbage that's in mainstream funnels and, and, and coaching and whatnot. Endurance racing, despite it being an endurance sport, is a power sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it, deep, deep, deep into an Ironman or a 50K or whatever, yes, you have to have the endurance. Your limiter is never, ever, ever your heart rate. It's never your cardiovascular system. At the end of a finish line, you will never hear anybody say, man, I could have gone so much faster, but my heart rate was so high. You hear the exact, you hear the exact opposite. You hear everybody say, my legs were so heavy. It was like I was pulling bricks through the streets. And it's because it's muscular endurance. Muscular endurance has everything to do with strength and power. All of the pros train with power on the bike. It has to do with how much power you can produce and still get off and run well. It's not a it's not a cardiovascular system. If you're a trained athlete, your cardiovascular system is is a byproduct and will 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 put itself in alignment with your muscular system. But I guarantee you, your limiter is going to be your muscular endurance, not your heart, not your lungs. If you're training properly, that stuff is going to put itself into alignment. It's a great secondary measure only to to monitor how your system is is doing that day and and maybe you need to tweak your fueling strategy. Mm-hmm. But like successful Ironman individuals and endurance people need to really 
turn a corner or have a mind sh- mindset shift as far as the value of strength training and 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 how much the endurance sport is a strength and power sport. Yeah, yeah. I, I can really see what you're talking about here, especially with the uh, history in middle distance running. I mean, I understand the the impact that injuries and injury prevention can play on potential performance. And I know a lot of the top athletes in Australia over the last few years have started to adjust their focus to be more than just going out and running, but to incorporate that strength training that you're speaking about there. So I know a lot of the top, top athletes like Craig Mottram, who I spent a bit of time running with in Australia, uh, he had a a really big focus on the strength training uh, in the years, you know, especially leading up towards the end of his career when when we started running together. But, man, you mentioned mindset uh, a couple of times in the conversation, and this is something that I'm just super, super curious uh, to, to hear about from you because as much as you want to train and as much as you want to prepare, there is that element of mindset that you, I guess you, you can't really practice for it. I mean, I can imagine you, you're trying your best to get those neural, uh, those neural pathways along the, the right way to encourage the journey. But, uh, how do you possibly prepare your mind for an event that you're about to take part in like this? Did you have any set practices, any routines that you, you really believed in to, you know, carry you through? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You hear a lot of people say, uh, you know, I do yoga or I do breathing sessions and I do all of that. And all of that's great. Um, But the only way to get mental strength, toughness and experience is just that it's experience. It's doing it. Um, you're, You're not going to do, you know, all of your training on fair weather days and then get into a race that has difficult weather and be like, I can I can handle this. You have to have experience with it, um, and and so you have to intentionally put yourself in situations where it pushes you. It puts you into a, a outside your comfort zone. Um, you, your strongest and most improvements is going to come when you're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we we live in a day in a society where people they they want comfort, and comfort's great. I'm, I love comfort. Trust me. Um, but but in order to improve and break through barriers. You've got to be uncomfortable. You've got to be um, pushing the, the the boundaries of the mind, and and I would have never been ready to do fifty Ironmans had I not had my wrestling background and had I done the half Ironman world record, the full Ironman world record. Only then was I ready mentally to take on the fifty consecutive. And so I, I struggle sometimes because people come out. You know, I get emails all the time. I want to do X, Y, Z, and the first question I always ask them is, "Great, tell me what you've." Tell me about your accomplishments over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that, those accomplishments over the past 10 years of their life will let me know if they're ready or have the experience to tackle the enormity of what they're proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, People hear about the 50-50-50 and they just assume, oh, this cat just woke up one day and decided to go out, to go out his door and do 50 Ironmans. What they don't realize is there was a decade worth of hard work, sacrifice, dedication, and mental prep that that is behind it and i'm i'm not tuning my own horn i'm i'm telling you the basic principles that i've lived my life and what it takes in order to do something of that magnitude and and put yourself in a position to have success um uh, more often than not people just want i want to do the big thing i want to do it now but i'm not going to respect the process and the journey the work that it takes in order to develop my mind my body my spirit my soul and everything in that it encompasses in order to be able to have success. The last thing anybody I would assume wants to do is, is have 
and set themselves up with a huge goal and then go fail at it. I mm-hmm. mean, that's not what anybody's setting out to do is nobody enjoys failure. Nobody wants to follow failure. Um, and I get that you have to stumble and fall and experience failure in, all, in order to ultimately have the success. And that's why you have to go through a lot of unique, different, challenging experiences in order to put yourself in a position to where, yes, now I'm ready to take on this that is so big, this challenge, I'm ready. Yeah. See, I think a lot of the critics that you were speaking about earlier in the conversation uh, were doing a lot of talking nice and early in the process. But I I can imagine that would have been a difficult part if you weren't prepared for it to sort of ignore or just tune down. But what I'm really interested in is, okay, so you've got your body as, as and your mind as ready as you possibly can leading into this race. And then day one comes and you get that first Ironman done, and you start rolling through. And it was at Hawaii, from memory, where you started? Yeah, Hawaii. Yep. Yeah, so you started in Hawaii. But at, at what point did the enormity of what you had undertaken really start to hit home? Because I can imagine there's a difference between thinking about what it is that you're taking part in and actually stepping out into it and trying to complete it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the enormity was, was, you know, day one. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, be, because... You can, and this is, you know, I do, I do a lot of speaking and this is something that I touch on in my presentation. Um, I, I believe you can plan your way to a failure. Um, and what I mean by that, there's two things. You can plan your way to a failure and nothing's ever going to go according to plan. And they, they kind of go hand in hand. And let me explain real quick. You can plan your way to a failure, meaning you're never going to put the perfect plan on paper because it's not going to go according to the plan. And so at some point in time, you have to stop you know, refining, refining, refining. Obviously, you want to put some thought and, and planning into it, but at some point in time, you, you've got to start and execute. Um, and then nothing ever goes according to plan is also very true because on day number one, you know, 20 miles into the bike ride in the middle of the night, because in Hawaii, in Hawaii, we had to start at midnight in order to make the time zone loss to get to Alaska. But we started at midnight, so we're biking in the middle of the night, got pulled over by the the police in in Kauai and they said you can't bike on this road you need to stop oh you're kidding and and so that would have been a perfect excuse to to quit and deviate from the plan that we had written down on paper but but you have to be intelligent and creative in order to work through that and push towards it so you've got to you've got to plan and put everything in place to a certain degree and then you have to just start executing and then once you're executing, you have to be flexible and creative in order to, to navigate, the, um, to navigate the the problems that present themselves because truly nothing's going to go according to plan. And so you you know plan B, C, and D are just excuses and reasons for you to to abandon the journey. Mm. See, I, I understand this completely coming from a, a big planning background when it comes to the races I want to perform well in when it comes to the things that I'm trying to achieve. But I know. In those moments where you're thrown with an obstacle, it can it can really be a, a big spanner in the works mentally, and it can be really difficult to overcome. So, man, it's funny now looking back to me hearing that story. It just makes your adventure uh, all the more impressive, based on the fact that day one you had this obstacle thrown your way. When that police pulled you, a policeman pulled you over and said, "Hey, like, get off the road," how did you deal with that smartly? What did you guys do? Um, luckily I had, I only had two people with me on that day. I mean, nobody knew what we were doing yet and not many people wanted to do something in the middle of the night. Uh, but one of them was like a fiery local kid 
who, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I would have done had he not been there, but he just, he fired back at the police um, and was like, nope, we have every right to be here. You can't kick us off this road. It's public property, blah, blah, blah. And and he really talked to the talked the police officer off a ledge um, and and got us back on the road and, and, and going through and, and kind of allowed us to, to keep going. So I was super grateful that he was there and, and had the the courage to, to stand up and say something. And so, I mean, even early in the journey, I, I learned that lesson. Um, and so it was, it was, it was good for me to be part of that early in the journey saying, look, things are going to happen and you need to stand up for yourself, be creative, be flexible and, and pivot, um, with what's going on. Mm, mm. So from, from day one, obviously you said you allowed for the time difference and everything that was going on, but give us a little bit of an overview of what the actual day-to-day plan looked like for you guys. Cause I can't imagine by the time you finished an Ironman in, in what, 13 or 14 hours, uh, that yep. there's going to be a whole heap of time left for sleep, for travel, for recovery, for food. How did you manage the balance? Yeah, I mean, every, every day was unique and different, and it just was was chaos from day number one. Um, and we had to adjust with, with what we were given. We, you know, on paper, we were like, oh, we'll finish it this time every single day, and my wife, Sunny, will prepare a meal, and we'll sit down as a crew and discuss the day and go on to the next day. And, I mean, it just that was gone out of the day one and we didn't have time to go prepare food. And so really it was super cool to watch the communities get behind us and they would, they would show up with, you know, they, they had caught wind of, of our needs and everything. So they would show up every day and full, you know, food for the crew and me and breakfast, dinner, lunch, and making sure that everyone was comfortable and activities for the kids. And uh, it was just really cool to watch everybody come out and, and support it like that. But every day was chaotic. And I mean, I had to figure out how to eat 10 to 12,000 calories on the move um, a day to not wither away. And I had to figure out how to manage the extreme fatigue. I was averaging four hours of sleep on the floor of a moving van across the U S. And so, you know, we were just, you know, every day was, was the same, but so very unique, um, because we just had no, never had any idea of what to expect. Mm. So the van was something that was with you guys, uh, the, the whole journey. So you'd obviously flown back from Hawaii to your second Ironman. And then from there, was it, only the tour bus that got you around or how many flights did you have to take once you got back to the mainland so yeah we did hawaii uh, alaska and then to washington where the main crew was there waiting for us with the motorhome and two vehicles um and then we caravaned um the rest of the way around the country yeah okay so when you're eating 12 13,000 calories for your recovery you're getting well you're only getting four and a half four hours sleep man a lot of people I can understand are going to have no idea how your body can even function just in day-to-day operations, going to work and coming home and still being awake. This is where this is where I'm so impressed and just so curious. Like, how is it that you were recovering enough to be able to get up the next morning? Because I know what it's like when you have a really short night's sleep and then you all of a sudden open your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh, it's go time again. But when you're being confronted with yet another Iron Man, I can imagine that, uh-oh, it's go time again could be <laughs> really, really powerful. How did your body actually function or how did it keep getting up in these moments where you really just weren't recovering th- at all? Yeah, yeah, I for sure wasn't recovering. Um, it, but but what is truly amazing is that how much the body evolves and adapts. Um, it when it's put under stress in certain situations and then also mentally when you when you really have gone all in on what you're trying to accomplish and don't give yourself an out it's amazing what the body is truly capable of and the mind um and so i i before i even started i I made sure i was there was no out Uh, i was i was doing this 
Um, someone was going to have to pull me off or I'd be in the hospital um, in order to, to not do this. Obviously, I wasn't going to put my life at risk because I've got, I've got five kids and everything. But, but I really bought all in on what I was doing. Um, and, and when you give yourself no other option, you're, you'd be amazed at what the mind and the body can do. And so it, it was – the crew flipped a coin every morning and the loser would have to go wake me up because it was such a, it was such a hard thing to do because I, I was unconscious. Um, and to get me woken up and get me moving again was, it was a very difficult task. Mm, I can imagine. And that's even from the floor of the bus, eh? Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, all of, you know, there's so much detail and, and obviously we, we can't cover even a tenth of it on, on a, on a, on a podcast like this. And that's, that's the reason we did the, the, the documentary and the book is because people are really craving the, the, how did you manage X, Y, Z? How did you pull that off? What was your guys' strategy? And, and so it's, it, the, the book is really intriguing people and, the, and it's, it's an unexpected, pleasant surprise. Um, the stories that we tell, the detail that we get into, and it's, it's we're getting fantastic reviews. Yeah, really, exci- I'm really excited about it. Oh man, you must be pumped! So the book's just come out. When did you say it was released? Just really recently. Yeah, within the last week. And tell us a little bit about the numbers. You mentioned to me before we started that it's just gone a, a bit crazy, which doesn't surprise me, but must just be so exciting for you. Yeah, f- over 500 copies in the first weekend. You know, 10, 15 different countries. Um, just, just incredibly overwhelming the support that we've had, and and that the orders are still rolling in. I mean, it's just just really great to see people having that interest, and and then the, the reviews that we're already getting back. I mean, we shipped them out right away, and people, have, like they 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 just they send us a message and like I couldn't put it down. It was it was such a great read, um, and an unexpected fantastic journey. And so it's just been really humbling that um, people are are enjoying it and and getting what we hope people would get out of it. Yeah, and the documentary is out now as well. You said it is. Yep. Yeah. If you go to ironcowboybook.com. We actually have a promotion right now where you can do um, a book documentary combo. Um, and so people are taking advantage of that. And we actually give you a login and password. You can stream the documentary right now while you're waiting for the book to come. And, and they, they tell different stories. They do a little bit different perspective. It's actually the first time I've ever realized when somebody says, oh, the book is so much better than the movie. Um, and I, I get that now because the, the documentary is just a snapshot you know, of, of what, you know, they could only pick a few things to get it into the hour, 15, hour 20, where the book truly does tell the full story. But, but if, you know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a million. And so <laughs> yes. the, the video really does capture the fatigue that we were going through in different elements. And, and it's just, it's also really well done. And I'm, I'm proud of both, both pieces, uh-huh. um, but they're, but they're both unique and different. Beautiful, man. I'll make sure I, I get a link in the show notes for anyone out there who's interested in getting himself a copy of both of those. But, uh, man, we've got about 15 more minutes. I just had a, a few questions that I've been super curious, just the practical side of things. And you mentioned before the 13,000 calories that you were trying to get your body used to eating while you were on the bike. How, how is it that you get those calories in? Because I can imagine health is obviously a really big part of what you do, but it's really hard, I guess, to, to get that much uh that amount of nutrients or that amount of calories into your body just through good clean healthy natural food what were you doing to to get that amount of calories into your system yeah i didn't do any goos or gels or anything like that i we tried to do it on real food because i wasn't i wasn't on race nutrition i was always planning for tomorrow's ironman wednesday's ironman thursday saturday's ironman and so i was always looking ahead 
Um, and, and again, we were at the mercy of whatever people kind of brought because we didn't, it was so chaotic for us and the crew was equally as exhausted as I was on a different level. Um, and so, so we really ate whatever anybody brought. Um, and so I ate, you know, just such a massive wide range of, of food. And some days it wasn't super quality and other days it was really great quality. And so we, we tried to do an even balance. It's like everything. Our coaching is 80, 20 to intensity and recovery. And, and I believe in, in, in eating food that look, 80, 90%, you need to be really good, really clean. And then it's okay to be 10% of the time to be, to be not so clean and give yourself a break and a snack is, is fantastic or a treat. Uh, but with the 50, when you're, when you're doing an Ironman every single day, your engine becomes super hot and your furnace is burning at an uh, outrageous level. Um, and so I could truly eat anything yeah. um, and I would burn through it. I mean, I got down to, I, I maintained most of my mass, but I got down to 4% uh, body fat. Um, and that was while eating, you know, that amount of food. And so if you're putting the right things in your body, your, your body really does evolve, adapt and become super efficient with what you're putting into it. Yeah. I saw a photo of you actually, it must've been right around the 4% body fat time. Cause, uh, Instagram, you posted a photo saying, Hey, you want abs like this? Just complete 50 Ironmans. That was the one I was <laughs> deliberately, I didn't even want to look at it myself, let alone let my yeah, wife see that, it. But man, I can, that, uh, <laughs> that was, that, that was day 48 in Wyoming. Oh my gosh. So at that time of the uh, journey, you were pretty confident that it was going to be complete, all going well, no big accidents? Yeah. Once once we hit kind of 40, um, you know, it, it the crew really had everything down. And, and I, I, this sounds stupid, but again, we talked about perception, right? An Ironman became routine for me. And, and barring a major crash or something that we would hospitalize me, um, we, we knew that the, you know, everything was clicking. So the last 10 kind of became routine. Um, the, the, the crew was a lot more relaxed knew what they were doing, knew what my needs were. Um, we, we, the States that we'd been going through had been really good at relaying messages to the States in front of us. So they were well prepared. Um, so the last 10 became victory laps almost mm. as, as we got closer. I mean, trust me, it was not easy. And I had, I was unconsciously performing these Ironmans. Um, but we, we started to gain confidence as we, you know, went beyond 40. And it was also super helpful that the social media had switched to, to being very supportive and fans and, and encouragement and things like that. It was fun to watch that paradigm shift happen online real time, mm. uh, from you're a complete moron. There's no way you can do this to holy crap. He's getting close. I'm a fan. I, and you know, we show up in Utah and there's close to 4,000 people there that did the Ironman with us. I mean, that, that's just, that was overwhelming support in a day. Obviously I will never forget. Yeah. See, one of the things I was loving watching on the journey was what you just spoke about there, just seeing the increase in the amount of people that were uh, coming to the places where you're going to be doing the triathlon. I mean, at what point did that start to shift? When did the crowd start to really come out and really start to build up? Um, about halfway. Yeah, okay. we really started to see a paradigm shift between, you know, after 24 or so. Yeah, okay. And was that due to the fact that a lot of media outlets were getting right on board now? They started to think that you're onto something really unique? Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they just really shifted. It was just really cool to see that, that people got behind it. And, and I no longer had to defend myself online because other people would do it for me. It was just really, really, really cool. Yeah, no, that's unreal, man. That's unreal. So how, how has life changed in the last couple of years since – uh, since you finished this, this, uh, it was a world record, Hey, 
Is that uh, what well, you're? Guinness, it seems a uh, world record seems far too small. Uh, it seems so much bigger than just world record. It's, uh, Guinness doesn't recognize anything that aren't official events, but as far because there, there's no category for this. But uh, you know, as far as the, the the consensus is, I mean, nobody else has done fifty Ironmans, fifty days, fifty states, um, and it's 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 kind of in its own little category. And I'm humbled and and just totally, you know in awe with the the way that it's changed my life and my family's life and the opportunities that have presented itself afterwards. And people always ask me what's next and, and truly what's next is, is having the opportunity to go out and share this message um, and impact people in the, in audiences. And, you know, my schedule is, is so fun and I've, I've had the opportunity in the next 12 months to be in 10 plus countries and, and speaking on some bigger stages and, and the book, you know, like we just, we just talked about it's, it's gaining fantastic traction and, and is, is the feedback we're getting is, is having an impact. And so really what's next for us is me still being fit and active and doing these races and, and different adventures. Um, but, but really what's next is, is continuing to go out and, and communicate, um, the message of, of belief, conviction, following your passions and your dreams, going all in, doing the hard work, um, the power of the mind mm. um, when you really when you really dive into something. All of these things um, are vitally important to a successful journey. And and truly, it is about. I mean, it's cliche, but it's about the journey. It's about the people that you meet along the way. It's about personal growth. And and what I want to do now is I want to help people go on journeys, have experiences and, and grow as, as, as mankind and as humans and, and as, you know, all of us together as we're on this, you know, journey together. Yeah. I think one of the most beautiful parts of your story, one of the most powerful parts of your story maybe is the fact that it doesn't just apply to a sports person. I think on the surface, you look at what you've done and yeah, you see that you're obviously an elite athlete and incredibly mentally strong, but the achievement and the, uh, uh, sort of the fates that you've, you've sort of conquered has a transcend sport. I think I would be really interested just to hear a little bit about the people who are, you know, contacting you about what it is that you've achieved and like the ratios of those people who are athletes and who are outside athletics. Cause my wife wouldn't put herself in the athletics category, but to hear about what you did when I actually explained the distance and, um, and just the logistics, I think as a bit of an admin girl, she's more impressed by the logistics. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. It, it, it was absolutely a logistics feat. And, and what's, what's been really, really cool for us, um, to watch is we've, we've gone beyond your competitive triathlete or weekend triathlete. We've gone into your, um, person who's on the couch looking for a change and wants to, wants to do something different and you're struggling businessman or your spouse or your, you know, we're reaching kids, college students and all these different aspects that aren't, aren't necessarily athletes, but they look at the journey and they can apply it. And it's why I'm not just speaking at your local tri group. I mean, I'm speaking to big corporations. I mean, I've spoken at, you know, Vivint and Audi and Nike and Red Bull and all of these companies on big stages because it is relevant to what they're doing. And these companies are trying to set big goals and they're trying to instill mindset and hard work and passion and drive and, you know, all of those things that I, that I really uh, feel have been instrumental in my journey. And so that's, that's been a surprise. Um, thing for us that I'm really, really happy to see is we've gone, we've broken out of just, hey, this is an athletic memoir, and like a lot of them out there, this is this is more this is more a journey and a lifestyle, and can be can be 
you know, applied to many different avenues of different people's lives and, and unique to, to everybody. Yeah, I think it comes across as almost a rocky story. I, I mean, I think when you explain the story of what it is that you've done, people must just automatically assume that, okay, well, you've obviously got more money and more time and more fitness and some unique ability. But when you explain, like you did at the start of this conversation, that your your wife was at school studying psychology, you got five kids, you were running a business, um, it, it sort of just opens our eyes to the fact that you didn't have it any easier than far out, maybe even harder than uh, what a a lot of people find themselves in right now, but uh, just on a, a financial level and on a, um, a marketing level, from the time that you decided that you wanted to do this and you were working the one job, your wife was at school, you were trying to look after five kids, how did you start to organize it with the money that you were earning and, and how did you start to get traction on the message without obviously putting a whole heap of money into marketing? Yeah, we, we didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, it, it, it all came down to being creative, um, leveraging skill sets that I had, offering trades, um, um, creating value. I mean, that's what a lot of a lot of people miss out these days. They just say, "Hey, I'm fast, I'm talented. Sponsor me," and they put their hand out. And and I kind of I, I reverse engineered it and I said, "I'm loyal. Here's the value that I do create. Let me create it for several years, and then let's partner." Um, and so all of the sponsors and everything that I did, knowing I was going to do the 50, I started grooming them early in the process uh, before they committed to anything. And I kind of rolled the dice on it just saying, look, I'm going to show you my loyalty in hopes that you'll return that when the time is right. Mm. Um, and, and it worked. And it's it's an unorthodox approach, but it was the only one, only play that I felt that I had. Um, because truly when, when you do something – that's bigger than 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 you can conceptualize. Obviously, people aren't going to jump on board because there's a ton of risk to it. Um, and so I, I had to, you know, be patient and be creative and and just we we bootstrapped everything mm. um, and just leveraged whatever we could in order to to make it happen. And, and I just. You know, we're just so so blessed and fortunate now, though, the way things have turned out. Yeah, that's incredible. When you were saying about the loyalty that you would show a company before you actually asked for an official sponsorship, what kind of stuff were you doing? Because I think that's just a marketing genius in a way. I mean, you obviously, you, you had confidence in what it was that you were going to do, but the fact that you'd say, hey, let me show you that I'm going to add value before I ask for anything in return, that just makes sense. Yeah, so all of the sponsors that I had during those campaigns and that I still have today – um, are, are, are products and companies that I actually used and loved their stuff. And so I would promote them on my social media and campaigns and, and do things to give them exposure before they gave me anything. Mm-hmm. And then and then I would say, okay, I, look, these are my numbers. This is what I'm doing. I'm promoting you for free. I'm doing this now. And I would, you know, I'd love it if you would come on board. I, lo- I use your products because I like them and their quality. Now let's see if we can come to an arrangement and, and do something together. And I was 100%. All of them said, Abs- absolutely, you've been incredibly loyal. You've been incredibly supportive. We would love to return that favor and, and help you out. Yeah. Yeah, man. Fire out. It's so amazing. I, honestly, I could talk to you for another seven hours, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to. We'll have to uh, catch up again at some stage, man, and, and go even further into your story. Maybe, you know, another 12 months time when, uh, you let, know. Let's, uh, let, let's catch lunch when I'm in London in a few weeks. Hey, 100%, man. No, really excited for that. I'm going to let you go because I know you've got a big day ahead. But, man, hey, so glad we could organize this conversation. And, uh, hey, looking forward to that. Looking forward to that lunch in a couple of weeks. Awesome, man. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you.